Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubell, MD, episode number 115. Welcome to Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight so you can feel better and have the life you want. If you're looking to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food, you're in the right place. Hey, my friend, what's up? How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about reactivity versus proactivity. And most of us go through our lives in reactive mode, just reacting to what's happening. Something happens, other people do something, or like the weather's a certain way, or just something happens, and then we have a reaction to it. And really, like anyone in our lives, but let's just say like our kids, They say something and then we just react back, right? Like just like a split second. And sometimes we regret what we said later. Has that happened to you? (laughs) Because it wasn't coming from our highest and best selves, right? We were just, they said something, we reacted and something flew out of our mouths. And it really wasn't the way that we would choose to respond if we had a moment to think about it. Our brains often react with a lot of judgment and criticism and negativity. Have you noticed this? You've probably noticed it in other people. I wonder if you've taken time to notice it in yourself and where it's coming up for you in yourself. And living this way kind of feels like being yanked around by your ponytail. (laughs) So think about that, right? Like someone just grabs your ponytail and yanks you. Because really, this is the thing. You're a good person And you mean well, your heart is in the right place overall. You want to live a good, meaningful, productive, valuable life. That is what you're striving for. But then something happens and you don't even see it coming. You just react and then you're disappointed with yourself later 
for how you responded. It's just like you're just trucking along and all of a sudden you get yanked by your ponytail, right? And then most of us beat ourselves up for a while afterward, thinking that somehow the self-flagellation is what's going to help us do better in the future. So what ends up happening is we don't really do better in the future. We just feel worse about ourselves. Many of us, when we feel bad about ourselves, look to food and sometimes alcohol maybe for solace, right? To feel better about ourselves. When we react, we let our primitive brain be in charge in the moment. Recall me talking about the primitive brain. We have the primitive brain, which is that limbic system, that part of our brain that is much more primitive and is what just wants to keep us alive. It does a very good job of that. And then we have our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that allows us to actually think into the future and to strategize and to think like, was that really a good idea? <laughs> if will, it, will it work out well for me if I do it that way? But we're living from our primitive brain in the moment. So something happens outside of us. This is the circumstance, the neutral facts of the situation. And then we live by the, just the first thought that comes to mind. That thought creates a feeling and that feeling drives our action which is our reaction. Your reaction is your action. Even if your reaction is to just go on a mental rant about somebody and not do anything outwardly, it's still a reaction, still an action. But there's a space between the circumstance or the neutral facts and our thought that most of us don't take advantage of. That space allows you to move into proactivity it allows you to be proactive about how you want to think about the circumstance. It gives you the opportunity to decide what you want to make that circumstance mean. So Viktor Frankl is a famous author, and he has a famous quote that you may or may not have heard. And the quote is, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So let me just read that again. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. It doesn't just happen to us. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So if you haven't read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, you definitely should do that. Just as a side note, really amazing book. The stimulus that he's talking about is the circumstance. The response starts with your thought because it's your thought that's creating your feeling, which is then driving your action, which is the response he's talking about. So your response is always going to start with your thought. Any action that you are taking or want to be taking starts with a thought. This is how you become proactive. You recognize that there's an invitation to pause while you decide intentionally how you're going to respond. So the first time this became something for me that was like an option, like I actually saw, oh my gosh, like here's that opportunity, here's that space, was a few years ago when I was on the phone with my mother and she let me know that she'd gone in for what she thought was just going to be a little routine thing, no big deal, at the urologist's office. And they said, oh, before we do that, we need to just look in your bladder really quick. And when they looked in there, they just happened upon a little bladder cancer. And she didn't have any information. She was completely taken aback by this, had not gone in to the appointment with any kind of 
expectation of getting a cancer diagnosis. So she hadn't even had a moment to really think about asking questions or things like that. And I remember that we just really didn't have a lot of information. I hung up the phone with her and I just paused for a moment and I thought, okay, you have the opportunity right now to decide what you're going to make this mean. How are you going to interpret this information that you just got? So that conversation with my mom was the circumstance. Okay, I've gotten a certain amount of information, not enough information to know, like, is this really going to be bad? Is this really not going to be a big deal? Like, we've got to figure this out. We've got to get more information. So I could see those as facts. And I could see that I could turn this into super doom and gloom. I'm going to lose my mom, get super upset, be really worked up over this. Or that I had another option if I wanted it. In fact, I even had thoughts of, would it even be okay to not be super upset about this? Like, is that somehow dishonoring my mother, right? We sometimes are arguing for our misery. We're like, no, I'm supposed to be super upset because somehow that means that I love my mom more or something like that, which of course it doesn't mean that at all. And in the moment, I just thought to myself, well, I don't have much more information than there's something in my mom's bladder that's probably cancer. So right now, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to be upset about. I can just choose to love my mom right now because she's still here. I don't have to start grieving her when I don't even have any information and she's still here with me. So I literally did just decide like, okay, well, that happened. We're going to find out more information. Okay, everything's okay. Right now, everything's okay. And it completely changed my whole response of that. I mean, I also know how bad bladder cancer can be. My brain reminded me of that. But then I thought, no, I'm not even going to go there right now. I, I have this opportunity to decide what my response is going to be. And I don't see the value in me creating a response that's going to result in a lot of emotional pain for me that isn't going to help anything. So you can see that. So sometimes, though, we think that our reactions are okay. We're like, no, like sometimes I react and it's a good thing. And an example of this is in the the emergency department. So a patient comes in trying to die and you're given some facts by the EMS team. That's your circumstance. You have a patient here and some data that the EMS team gave you. Then you have a thought about what to do next. And that creates a feeling of maybe say like motivation or determination. And then that feeling drives the action of you doing that next thing. So we might think, well, see, I reacted and that was useful. But (laughs) we know that the human brain can be very reactive in the moment. So in order to run a trauma in the most effective and efficient way, we found that it's really not best to just unleash a whole bunch of doctors into the room to do what they think is best in that moment, looking at that specific body part that they're looking at. In fact, a trauma is very protocolized. It's organized chaos or chaotic organization, whichever one you choose to believe, right? But there are checklists and there's protocols and it's someone's job to oversee the whole process and to make sure that everyone's individual actions are meshing together to work together to actually help save the patient's life. So it's really not reactive in that sense at all. It's actually something that comes from proactivity because whatever team has created the protocols previously were the ones who came up with a plan so that all you have to do in the moment is follow that plan. And it 
leaves so much less room for that reactivity. Now, sometimes we don't realize how reactive we're being. We think that our reactivity is just an observation of how something is playing out in our lives. So I'm going to give you a bit of a silly example, but for real, this is like an issue for me for a while. <laughs> Again, it's silly, but just follow me because sometimes I think the silliest examples are the ones where we really see it the most and we're like, oh, okay, now I can see how I might apply that to something that seems harder, like your boss or something. So I have never been someone who's had amazing hair, okay? I don't have like, you know, a thick curly hair, anything that is like anything worth writing home about, put it that way. And, but I never was feeling awful about my hair. I am the kind of person who every time I had a baby, my hair fell out. Now, what I hear is that people who have tons of thick hair don't have this response after they've had a baby. There's a lot of irony there. <laughs> Those of us who already don't have that much hair, then we have a baby and three to four months later, all our hair falls out or a lot of it falls out. So that happened to me four times. So I was kind of always in a state of hair growing back in and trying to manage it all. And if you have had this experience, you know, like kind of like on the, like where your temples are, the hair falls out the worst. And then when it's growing back, it kind of looks like you have horns. It's really kind of a crazy situation. I was always like, well, I'm just going to work through this the best that I can. Well, so another opportunity for me to lose my hair was after I lost my weight. And that is a pretty common thing because losing weight, it can be pretty taxing on the body. And so some of my hair fell out. I also found out around that time that my ferritin level was low and that I needed to be doing some supplementation for that. That can also contribute to your hair falling out. So I was on board with that, getting everything to grow back, feeling like things are going in the right direction. And then last year, it all of a sudden started falling out again. And I didn't know why. I was like, didn't have a baby, didn't lose a bunch of weight. Like what happened? Like, shoot, is something really wrong? So I got this idea from a friend of mine that I should be put on some spironolactone. <laughs> Crazy idea. So I went to my dermatologist and said, will you prescribe this for me? And she's like, hold on a second. Let's just actually look here and figure this out. And as we looked at everything, she's like, wait a minute, didn't you tell me that you had appendicitis earlier this year? And I was like, oh yeah, I did. She's like, well, hold on a second. Like, let's just figure out the timeline of this. So I had had appendicitis, which I didn't think was like that big of a deal. Well, three to four months later, yep, it's exactly when my hair all started falling out again. And she's like, it's just telogen effluvium. It's just your response to that surgery. And I was like, really? Oh my gosh. Like seriously, every little thing that's going to happen to me, my hair is going to fall out again. So now I'm back again in the process of growing it back out again. So I got into this kind of spell where my brain just kept telling me that I didn't have good hair. My hair was a problem. <laughs> I just kept thinking like, this is really a problem. I started thinking maybe I should do extensions. Maybe I should, I was like, maybe I should shave it all off and just wear a wig. I mean, I really was like, what should I do? Like, this is really a problem for me. It was basically like my brain was just using it as an opportunity to find something that it doesn't like about me right? It's like, you know, how that is. We always, we always think, oh, no, I'll love my body when I'm thin. No, like then there's something else that your your brain's like, yeah, but that's better. But look at this part now. So a few months ago, I realized, okay, I'm really getting a little whiny in my head about this whole hair thing. And my brain was not solutions focused at all. It was super problem focused. It just wanted to show me that my hair was a problem all the time. 
And it wasn't like it was holding me back from doing anything. I mean, I was still recording all my videos, doing all my things, seeing people in person, like it wasn't anything that bad. But I still just had this thought of my hair is a problem. And then one day I realized this, I just had this opportunity to think about it for a moment. And I thought, you know what, what if I got into a solutions focused mindset about this? What would I do? And I'm not joking. (laughs) It has totally changed my hair life. I just started thinking like, in the past, what did I do that I liked with my hair? And I thought back to college when I used hot rollers a lot, and I decided to try that. And I looked at people online who I like their hair, like there's some YouTube people who actually do videos on like how they do their hair. And I thought, well, I could probably try that. I could probably get better at this. Maybe I should ask people who have nice hair how they do their hair, and then I could actually learn it. Because I had this idea too that I'm not good at it and I can't do it. Turns out I actually can. Turns out if you just practice something, you get better at it. Did you know that? (laughs) It's so crazy. And so even though my hair is totally in this state of growing in, in kind of crazy ways, and there's flyaways all over the place, I'm learning how to manage it. And I don't have the story in my head anymore that my hair is bad. Like I know what to do to manage it. It's completely fine. So that's just a silly example of going from being super reactive always thinking like, oh, my hair, my hair, my hair is a problem to just being proactive. Okay, what's the solution here? What is something that's going to work for me? There's must be some way of figuring out a, a way to make my hair look good. And that's exactly what I did. And it's no longer a problem for me. So first, what I want you to do in contemplating this concept is I want you to focus on noticing what your reaction is to things. We're often like, oh, yeah, I'm super reactive. Like, but how do I get to proactivity? first, you have to understand where you're reactive. So when your boss or your medical assistant comes to talk to you, are you already annoyed? Are you already assuming the worst? Are you know, you already thinking that way when your teenager comes to you? Are you just finding yourself annoyed? And you're not even sure why it's just annoyance, right? Before you can change that reactivity, you have to know where in your life you're being reactive. So when you're noticing that you can then think, okay, what am I making the situation mean? What is the interpretation that my brain is assigning to this that's creating this reactivity? From there, you can offer yourself the opportunity to pause and create that space for a moment. So maybe you could think like, I would typically think this, or I would respond in that certain way. Is there another way that I can respond to this that will also feel true that creates a better result for me, basically a better outcome overall. Like maybe I'll try that here in the moment. So you just are going to play around with this. Don't beat yourself up when you go right back into reactivity a little bit, or maybe even a lot of the time, because that often happens, right? Just notice it, approach it with curiosity and openness, and give yourself the opportunity to respond in a proactive way. Just play around with that idea. I think so often we try to force our brains into this, you know, this different way of thinking normally, naturally. And it takes a lot longer than just like, okay, I just need to like manhandle this and then it's going to be better. Like you have to really approach it from a place of gentleness and support and lovingness. Like you have to, you have to just (laughs) you have to nourish yourself, right? You have to be like, okay, like if I were going to approach this differently, how might I do that? What might be another way? Let me try that out in the future. Let me try that out right now and see how that changes how I feel. 
And then from that place is when you're going to be able to start truly seeing how that response is different for you, how it feels for you in the short term and the long term, and then deciding if you want to continue with that ongoing. So give this a try, see what you think, notice where you're being proactive, where you're being reactive, and see what you think, see how you want to change things. All right, have a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Did you know that you can find a lot more help from me on my website? Go to katrinaubelmd.com and click on free resources.